0: Thank you for standing with me in honor and respect of the reading of God's Word. This morning we'll be reading from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 18 through 29. And there the writer of Hebrews writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, beginning in verse 18, You have not come to a mountain that can be touched. And that is burning with fire to darkness, gloom and storm to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word would be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. Even if an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear, but you have come to Mount Zion to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks, Verse 28, therefore, since we have or we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Well, good
1: morning to all of you. If you would turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1, and yes, we are kind of going backwards a little bit. Ephesians chapter 1, we'll actually be covering. Uh, in a high-level view, chapters 1 through 3, and this morning is going to be a little bit different. A couple reasons why is it needs to be shorter than usual so that we have time to listen to the wonderful testimonies of those that uh, are going to be joining the church and uh, being baptized, and so uh, we're going to leave them plenty of time to share with us what God has done in their lives, but also want to take this opportunity for us to glory in the this thing we call the church, whether it be the the universal church, as it's sometimes called, or as, as we read in, in Hebrews, the church of the firstborn, that those are enrolled in heaven, all the believers of all time, or we're talking about the local church, which exists in various locations throughout all of the world. And so... Uh, what, that are the s- smaller manifestations of that larger church of the firstborn. So I want us to glory in that. I want us to see what it is that makes the church special and how we should think about the church. And as we think of these folks who are joining and, you know, why have so many of you joined the this church and why are others joining? So we want to glory in that. Some of you may recall that we went through when we went through our nine mark study uh, about the church. That in the study guide they had this to say about church membership, and they said this based on the passage that Kevin just read. Uh, from Hebrews twelve, but it applies to Ephesians and other passages in the New Testament that talk about the church and the glory of the church, and and talking about church membership itself, they say this: that passages uh, like that teach us about the glory of membership in the church. And that, that's a beautiful thing—the glory of membership in the church, because it is the assembly; it is in the assembly of the church that we experience the clearest foretaste of these heavenly realities. And that's why I've entitled this message, Christ's Church, A Foretaste of Heaven. And they go on and say, our membership in the church is meant to be a pointer to our membership in God's heavenly assembly. And so while we look at the scriptures and we see, see them talking about that church of the firstborn that are everyone who's enrolled in heaven. And as people are saved, they are enrolled into that church throughout time. And then one day that, will, that membership will be complete when we're all together with the Lord. But as we talk about that from Scripture, we find that the Scriptures present to us that that that's not just a, a theoretical idea. It's not something that's just for later. That when we find like in Ephesians and he's talking about the church and sometimes he's talking about this this grand church that exists in heaven. And but then he says, "Okay, but we have something to do here. We have responsibilities we have privileges and he's been walking us through those as we've gone through ephesians 1 through 3 so far and that's what we want to do today is to think about these amazing truths i mean think about what what the writer of the hebrews said there in hebrews 11 that we've come to the church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven we've come to god the judge of all and we've come to jesus the mediator of a new covenant while, yes, that larger church that we will all be a part of, and we actually are a part of, and there will be more added, is far bigger than what we see here at GBC. But our local assembly is a part of that greater assembly. You see, we're, we're just a piece of that. But we're a piece that God has established. And He gifts us, He gives gifts to every member so that they will work and serve in a local body like ours. And then what's happening is, is we build the local body, but we also are, are being used by God to add to that greater assembly in heaven. So what we want to do today is take a step back from our verse-by-verse study of Ephesians so that we can observe the significant role that the local church plays in God's plan. We want to behold the enormous privilege that we have by being a church member, and may we be convinced of the awesome responsibility of being a member in our body. Paul desired for the church in Eph- he, he desired that for the church in Ephesus. He didn't want to just give them this kind of this heavenly truth, this heavenly reality. To look forward to only. He wanted them to not only see that, but say, okay, then uh, there are things here that have to happen. I need to be working here, serving here, because those are connected. This is a piece of that larger reality. Do you remember his first prayer for them? In chapter 1, and I want us to to start with that. Chapter 1, verses 18 through 20 as he prays for them. And I want you to listen as I read it. Listen for the lofty language of what he's praying for them. <clears throat> so he says there, Ephesians 1.18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Why? So that you'll know three things. So that you will know what is the hope of his calling. And that beautiful language. The, so you'll know the hope of God's calling you. And then second, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And there again that lang- lofty language, the riches of his glory. And he's just piling up these beautiful terms to drive this home to us. He says this is what I want you to know as you come to know God. And then 19, and the third thing, what is the surpassing greatness of His power toward us who believe. And so, he says, okay, and again, piling up these terms, the surpassing power of God toward us who believe. He says, that's what I want you all to come to know. Yes, a glorious reality awaits us in the new heaven and earth when we finally experience that that time when we're all together, all believers from all the ages, from all the different nations around the world, are all together in one assembly before the throne of grace. But until then, we get a foretaste of that glorious church right here in our local assembly. And as we serve in this assembly, we're used by God to grow that greater heavenly assembly. So as we look back on what we've been studying in Ephesians 1 through 3, we'll see that in this overview, the church membership is a unique privilege. So it is a unique privilege. There's nothing like what we have in the church. There's nothing out there like that. This is unique. And it's a unique privilege. It's also an awesome responsibility. A responsibility where we serve together together as a key instrument of God's plan in history. And we've been talking about that lately as we've gotten through the last part of chapter 2 and then gotten into chapter 3. And and we, we've seen there that the church is a key part of how God is revealing Himself and His plan in history and what He's doing. It wasn't it wasn't plan B, it wasn't a surprise or anything to God. He had planned this all along, that this church would be key. And so we've seen that while Paul was writing this letter, whether he's dictating it or writing it himself, as as he is uh, composing this letter to the Ephesians, his heart is filled with the desire for them to be deeply moved to fulfill their mission as a church. He wants them to understand, okay, this is what your mission is, but I want you to be so stirred inside that, that you go and do it. That you as a church actually carry out the work that God has given us. And his soul is also filled with praise for the God who wisely planned and implemented this thing we call church. And so, this morning, let's think back over what Paul has told us so far about the church of Jesus Christ. And as I say, we're not going to do a verse-by-verse study as we normally do. We're going to step back and then take all this that we've learned and have kind of boiled it down into... To six things that we can choose about this church, since we're since the theme today really is about membership in the church. So go over to chapter two, Ephesians two, and I want to read one of those grand passages about the church that that like Hebrews twelve that make these staggering statements about this entity that God has created called the church. So Ephesians chapter 2, I'm going to read verses 19 to 22. So after bringing the Jews and Gentiles together into this one body, he says this. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having having been built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. That's remarkable. Not only are we members of this church of the firstborn that's enrolled in heaven, and and that's what we have come to, and that's what we get to look forward to, but he's saying here also in this passage that... We are God's dwelling place right now and then eternally we shall be God's dwelling place. And that's that's just staggering to think that, you know, he's going to take all of us sinners as we were. He's redeemed us. He's regenerated us. He's sanctifying us. One day he'll glorify us and and we will be this temple that as a bride it will be presented before him holy and blameless. And that is where he will dwell for all eternity. It's just staggering truth about the church. So let's draw out these six truths uh, that I want us to focus on. There's so much more, obviously, in these chapters, but we're focusing on membership today. So six truths about the church. First, we exist in the sphere of Christ where great blessings are provided. So remember, that's one of Paul's favorite themes is to talk about being in Christ, in Him. And he does that over and over. And It's like he can't say something in Ephesians without saying in Him, you know, in Christ. That all of these things happen in Christ. And and we're just going to touch on that briefly. But the idea most of the time that he has is that Christ is this sphere that we all exist inside of. And, And then all of these wonderful things that happen to us, happen to us in Christ. You see, we, we don't get all these blessings outside of Christ. We didn't get them and then eventually are brought into Christ. Now, all of it has happened to us in Christ. That's where this is taking place. In, in. So he says that in Christ we have all spiritual blessings. There we read at the very beginning of, of chapter 1. We have God's bountiful grace because we're in Christ. We have redemption because we're in Christ. We have new life in Him. We have the Father's kindness... And then we just recently saw that we have this confident access to the Father in Christ because we are in Him. You see, just as Jesus is able to always go before His Father and He is always accepted gladly before His Father because we are in Christ, then we are too. And that's why we have that confident access. Okay, so that was the first thing. And, And we're still talking about... Who we are as a church, these are truths about us as the church, okay? Because when he's talking to Ephesians, it, it's tempting for us to apply all of these things individually to ourselves. And, and think that this is only talking about individual Christianity, as if you, you can be, you know, we, we sometimes joke about someone thinking that they can be a lone ranger Christian. You know, they're out there, they won't join a church, they won't be a part of a church, and they're just out there on their own. Okay, well, biblically, that doesn't exist, okay? You can't be that, at least not for long. You shouldn't. <clears throat> these these discussions that they have in Scripture, yes, they're, we're saved individually, but we are put into a church, and the things he's talking about here apply to us as the church. Now, second, <clears throat> We possess treasures that call for over-the-top language in order to describe them. And we've called that out as we've worked our way through Ephesians. This just over-the-top language, grand language that Paul uses. I'll give you a few examples. And what he does by that is, it, Paul's not someone necessarily that's given to hyperbole, it's that He wants to show us how glorious this church is. He wants us to to just step back and wonder. It's like, wow, this is amazing. And remember, we talked about how uh, recently with God's wisdom and how and we're going to come to that in a minute, but how this the church is a part of God's wisdom. And, you know, we scratch our heads and it's like, okay, well, we know what we are. We're sinners and, you know, and, and we're saved by grace and there's nothing we contribute. But God was wise in Doing it that way. Well, so he wants us to see how glorious these treasures are that we have in the church. For example, God has blessed us, he said in chapter one, verse three, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. I mean, that's just over the top, you know, every spiritual blessing and in, in the heavenly places. And we think about how heaven, you know, houses all of those. He's lavished upon us the riches of His grace. We behold the surpassing greatness of His power. He talks about how God is rich in mercy. God's not stingy. He doesn't just, okay, well, I'll give you a little bit of mercy here and maybe a little bit here. And, well, you know, in a few years I'll give you a little bit more mercy. No, He lavishes on us this mercy. He's rich in mercy. And He loves us not just with a, you know, barely get by kind of love. He loved us, He says, with a great love. In kindness, He's given us the surpassing riches of His grace. So it wasn't enough to talk about riches of His grace. He had to add to it. No, the surpassing riches of His grace. That's what He's given to us in Christ and in the church. And He calls the gospel the unfathomable riches of Christ. In other words, they're so complex and intricate that we we can't study all of it and be done. And, and so and then he goes on talking about that wisdom of God, which is multifaceted. And think here again of that word was used for Joseph's coat of many colors. And he said, that's what God's wisdom is like. And that's what we're shining the light on, is this wisdom of God that's so multifaceted. And you remember that we've seen this a number of times as we've worked through Paul's discussion in, in Ephesians 1 through 3, how the existing vocabulary that they had in Greek, it just wasn't it just wasn't enough. Paul's heart is so full and he wants to express this to us and, and he's thinking through that rich vocabulary that they had and it's like they just don't have a word to say what I want to say, so what did he do? He made up a word. He did that a number of times. So Paul has coined a number of words, and then we see those showing up later in Christian history. So they show up first. Paul's the first one to, to use the word because he, he coined words. Because when a vocabulary is not enough, he'll he'll take one, two, three words, and he puts them together and say, okay, new word here, guys. And, and you can tell what he means by we know what the three words, the parts of it, meant. Next. We're the beneficiaries of God's. Life transforming work. We're the beneficiaries of God's life transforming work. And and we could spend even more time on these than we did, where we, you know, how as we're going through Ephesians and and we'll slow down a little bit, we'll look at these major doctrines and explore them a little more deeply. Uh, We could still spend a lot more time on them. Think about things like God has adopted us into his family. Isn't that wonderful? And we're part of God's family. I mean, here we are, We're as at GBC, we are a family. We're God's family. We're a part of God's family. And He's adopted us into His family, and that's wonderful. <clears throat> he's redeemed us and forgiven our sins. And, you know, another, you know, redemption is just such a glorious doctrine because of, of what it's telling us that God has done in us. So... These who are coming to uh, give their testimonies. <clears throat> that's, that's what's going on whether they use those words or not. They're talking about how God has redeemed them. They, like all of us, were dead in trespasses and sins, but God redeems us out of that. And He forgives our sins. Then we, we learned about how He's given us new life, that wonderful doctrine of regeneration there in chapter 2. You know, uh, while, when we were dead... He made us alive together with Christ. That's regeneration. It talks about how we're given new life. We're not the dead sinners we once were. We're now alive in Christ. How He saved us in that glorious gospel passage, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Saved us by grace through faith. And then, you know, it just keeps getting better as you move through this. We learned about how He has reconciled us to Himself. And we have to remember that at one time we were alienated from God because of our sin. It was our fault because we were sinners born in sin. Then we continue in sin and we prove out that we're sinners because we sin. We're alienated from God. There's that enmity between us. But then what happened is that Jesus has reconciled us to God. How glorious is that, reconciling us to God? Next. We experience the full power of the Trinity actively working in us. Again, mind-blowing. That God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit would be actively working in us. And, and it's the full power, and I, I don't have time to go into it now, but when we were in chapter 2, you know, he uses those four different terms for power, and he just piles them up again with that glorious language. But there's that, that full power of God. And it's not just the potential power, dunamis, but it's also Gaia. It's the actively working in us. Uh, it is currently working in us. So let's let's step through those three. God the Father. And these are just a few of the things he talks about. The Father has richly blessed us. And that's that's staggering, right? Because we're sinners. We Remember, we were alienated from God. We were at enmity with God. We'd sinned against Him, broken His law. And to think that He would richly bless us, even after we did that. He's chosen us and predestined us to be adopted into His family, you know, this wasn't a matter of us coming up and saying, hey, you know, God, I'm sorry for being a sinner and sinning against you. I'd like to be a part of your family. Can I talk you into that? No, before he ever created any of us, he had already planned on, uh, that he was going to make us a part of his family. And we learned about how he has made us to be his heritage. In other words, and that's amazing, too. I mean, who would want us to be a heritage? You know, especially if you're the holy God. But God said, okay, you know what I want for what I want to inherit, if you will? You. Us. Isn't that wonderful? You see, that idea of the family and everything, and He's like, I want you. And, you know, sometimes we'll say that, like, I don't know if you've ever had this happen where, you know, uh, a relative, you know, grandma or somebody is, you know, they they know that, you know, their days are coming to an end, and and they may say, like, well, okay, when I'm gone, you know, what would you like, uh, you know, out of all my stuff, you know? And, you know, and you know, little kids are, you know, they, they're like, well, I want this or that or whatever. But, you know, as we get a little older, we realize we shouldn't say that, you know? So, but you say things, and you, you mean it, but um, you say, all I only want, I just want you. You know, and I know that you're going to go home to be with the Lord. I get that. But that's all that really matters to me is you. Well, in a very real way, and in an even more real way than that, I mean, God means it. He's like, okay, what do I want for my inheritance? God would say, I want you. How beautiful that is. That's what God the Father wants. Now, let's talk about God the Son and Jesus In, in this working, this power that He has, and actually that passage I was talking about with the four words for power, it goes on to talk about in that power He has authority over all things. So he, He's over everything, everything. And as a part of that, He's head of the church. You know, in, in a very real way, you know, while the elders are given the, the ministry to shepherd, we're not the head of the church. And it's, it's Jesus is the head of the church. And a lot of times you'll hear us refer to ourselves as under-shepherds. I mean, shepherds is an appropriate term, but sometimes we want to draw that out just to remind you and remind us that we're not the head of the church. This is not our church. This is Jesus' church. And we're just servants of His, given a particular role. He has authority over the church because He's its head. Our forgiveness comes through His blood. You don't want to know how much how Jesus is actively working. He, he came down to earth and died. He shed His blood for His church and for the individuals. You look at it both ways. It's for the church and it's for all the individuals in that church. And then we saw too that He has brought us near to God. Why? Because we're told also that Jesus Himself is our peace. He embodies our peace. He also put to death the enmity between us and God. That's how He was able to bring us together and be our peace. And then God the Holy Spirit. We've seen how He has sealed us. He's He is the guarantee of our inheritance. So you want to know how sure... It is that we will inherit what God has said we will inherit. He's given us His Spirit. Saying, okay, I'm going to give you my Spirit. He will be the guarantee. And and if I go back on my promise to you for your inheritance, then I would lose the Holy Spirit. Well, that can't happen. So in other words, God can't go back on His promise. He provides us access to God. The Holy Spirit does. He dwells in us. that, That... idea of us being the dwelling place of God right now, we know that that not only individually does the Holy Spirit reside in each believer, but he's talking here in Ephesians about how he, the Spirit of God, resides in us as a church. Just as he does, he talks about both of those in 1 Corinthians. The emphasis here is that the Holy Spirit dwells in us as a church, and that is, is mind-boggling as well. That's why we pray. Um, you know, you, you pray for me as I'm ministering to you. And we, we pray that all of us will have ears to hear what God is saying to us. That we will have hearts that overflow with worship. Why? Because God, this Holy Spirit, is here with us and dwelling us as a church. And and so that those ministries go on, whether it's a ministry of teaching or it's the one-anothers that are happening uh, throughout the church, in the hall and in the different classrooms and all that's going on, it's because God the Holy Spirit dwells in us as a church. And then it's that Spirit who revealed through the apostles and prophets this mystery about the church. Mystery because God didn't talk about the church in the Old Testament. He wasn't ready to talk about it yet. He already planned it. But he revealed it in his time. Next. We have the high privilege to be a unique instrument in God's plan. Now, I don't mean us individually. That is true. But Paul's emphasis here is a unique instrument, meaning the church. God, think about it. And God fills His church with His fullness. They're at the end of chapter 1, and then He's going to talk about it again. Uh, at the end of chapter 3, we hadn't gotten to that last little bit, that wonderful truth we're going to get into, Lord willing, next time. And how um, that God not only dwells us, but He He fills us. And, you know, how can God fill us? And we're going to go into that. in. In one of these upcoming messages, But he fills us with his fullness. That's that's what the church is. It, it's if you will this this uh, vehicle to to hold God's fullness and manifest it to the world, and then as we saw also in chapter three, He's manifesting it to the heavenly beings. Okay. So God says, I want to dwell in this church. I'm going to fill it with my fullness so that they see this is where I'm at work in the church. In the church, we're fellow citizens, that is with all the saints of all the ages. We're fellow members of God's family. Different ways of looking at this church. We're being built into a holy temple for God to dwell in. And then in three six he, he said it a little differently. He says, we are fellow heirs, fellow members of the body, and fellow partakers of the new covenant promise. Or of the promise, he means they're the new covenant promise. See, we're the fellow partakers of all that. And, and that's, that's who we are as a church. These glorious terms that he uses to describe who the church is, what the church is. And remember, we were talking about how when he was talking about God's wisdom there in chapter 3, and he said that it is through the church, he used that phrase, through the church, that he's shining, it's like you have this flashlight, and he's shining the light on God's wisdom. Remember that? He's doing that through the church. The church is the one with the flashlight, if you will. Or that we all have whatever kind of light you like, you know, candles or whatever. You know, We're shining the light on God's wisdom. And that's again, you know, one of those kind of scratch your head things because it's like, wow, through us, you're showing your wisdom. You're using us to show, you know, the heavenly beings your wisdom. And you know, if we're honest, we would say, well, I wouldn't have done it that way, you know, because I know me, you know. But God's wise. He's all wise. He knows what he's doing. And he's he's uses us as this unique instrument to shine the light on His plan. And I want to challenge you here, this is just extra and free, Um, whenever you're sharing the gospel with people and they say, oh, you know, I I don't want to be a part of a church because, you know, I I was part of a church and, you know, it's full of hypocrites and, you know, and the church has got so many problems and, you know, and they're always, you know, people love to bash the church, you know. Well... Use this. Say, well, you know, the church does have lots of problems. Why? Because it's full of sinners, you know, and we've got room for one more sinner, you know, so you can join us. And want not you be part of us to show the wisdom of God because I don't understand it completely. But God is all wise and he knows what he's doing and he's manifesting his wisdom through the church. So I want you come be a part of that and we'll show the wisdom of to the angels and demons, <clears throat> the wisdom of God <clears throat> manifested <clears throat> through this church. <clears throat> Finally, we've been uniquely tasked with a high calling. We've been tasked with sharing this incredible gospel, which Paul called the unfathomable riches of Christ. You know, I, I don't know about you, but... You know, I mean, do you really want to tell people about this? Do you realize how unfathomable you you just you can't explain all of it. you can't get to the, the end of it? It's so glorious, so wonderful. And if we could just really tap into that ourselves, that would propel us, I think, to be more eager to share this message with others. And as I've said, it's in the church that God has chosen to shine the light on his multifaceted wisdom. And as he's working in us and through us we will be to the praise of the glory of His grace. What a glorious privilege to belong to Jesus' church. What an awesome responsibility to serve in it. Several people are committing themselves to our church family today, and several more are planning to uh, join in the coming weeks. If you're not yet a member, what about you? You know, I, I hope, that have whet your appetite, see that this church is, I mean, GBC, but the idea of God's church, Jesus' church, whether it's this assembly or another, is a wonderful, glorious thing. What about you? Now, if you're already a member, I exhort you to remain faithful in your participation to this glorious enterprise that we call the church. For some, consider how you can be used more by God in this high calling, see, what Ephesians should do is to propel all of us to roll up our sleeves and and take this gospel out to the world, to build up this local assembly, knowing that we're, we're laying up these treasures in heaven, to be used of God in this high calling. Well, as we come now to the Lord's Supper, I want us to just take a few minutes to think about this. One of the passages that we talk about with the Lord's Supper is 1 Corinthians 11, and where, where Paul tells us the same things that some of the gospel writers do, basically. But he makes this statement, which is a rather curious statement. He said, as, long as, as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. And that sounds strange. Proclaim His death. Death on the cross, remember, was a despicable punishment. It was designed to humiliate to the uttermost. And death, you know, when we talk about death, it's it's never a good thing. And yet, he says, as we partake of the, the bread and the cup, we are proclaiming Jesus' death. Why is that such a glorious opportunity for us? To do this every week, to rejoice at gathering around the table and partaking of these elements. Well, when we proclaim His death, we are doing what we've studied in Ephesians and other places. We're talking about the fact that He shed His blood. When He died, He shed His blood. And through that blood shedding, remember we learned in Ephesians, we have redemption. That He shed His blood to pay for our sins And purchase us for God. We also saw in Ephesians that by His blood, Jesus brought us near to God. And that whole idea of of gathering His people, and not only into a church, but He's brought us near to God. And He did that by His blood. And so it is our happy privilege every Lord's Day to partake of the Lord's table. And as Paul said, to proclaim His death.